Welcome to Pilots and Petards Podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything ado with first episodes of a filmic series. This is your co-hoister Jimbo, and joining us as always is our co-hoister Drew. For folks new to the show, disclaimer, petard is absolutely non-discriminatory, and it is a real word. Petards are explosive devices usually used to take out a door or wall. Thank you, Jimbo, and to be hoisted on a petard is to be hurt or destroyed by one's own plot or device intended for another. So in Eagle Point terms, to be blown up by one's own bomb. And here at Pilots and Petards Podcast, we watch television pilots or the first episode of a series, and we make critical judgments. We decide whether these pilots are awesome and deserve a watch or a rewatch of the preceding series, or we hoist these pilots on their own petards. To hoist or not to hoist Jimbo, that is the question. So join us today as we examine and cast judgment on the classic, highly acclaimed sitcom, The Wonder Years. Before we get started, we have a few game-changing announcements. Write us a review on iTunes to choose your very own pilot for us to discuss. First reviewed, first served. One more thing, before you write us that five-star review, which will get you um, you know, a spot in line for us to watch your pilot, go ahead and check the website for upcoming app. You don't want to pick a pilot that someone else has already picked. You know, like your review is important and we want it, but you know, your preferences and pilots are great too. And you know, Jimbo, that really sucks to us for the reason we picked the wonder years. And we have an interesting thing this week. We have a little note from our reviewer. The person who picked this show is Dwayne, my buddy who I used to teach with. And he sent us uh, a little note along with his review. This is very helpful if you want to send this with your review too. So Dwayne said, quote, I picked it, The Wonder Years, because it's an epic part of my childhood, my experiences with the culture of the time. When I think back, I can't remember a show I enjoyed or connected with more. Dwayne continues, I have put off watching The Wonder Years specifically. One reason for that was I don't want to be disappointed by this thing that I love so much and felt spoke to me as a child so much. Your show, you know, The Pilotards, has me wondering if it would hold up. Dwayne finishes, so without going back myself to rewatch the series, I feel like hearing you two have an honest, open, intelligent, critical conversation about that pilot might give me a little insight as to where the Wonder Years would stack up against the other shows, movies, songs, and other cultural memes that I've collected as my own personal canon over my lifetime. End quote. Well, thank you, Dwayne. It's nice that you think we're going to have an intelligent, critical conversation. Sounds like you appreciate the podcast. And Dwayne, we appreciate you. So thank you for sending us that background information on the background of the show what do you think Jimbo as you also did Drew I think we both kind of watched the Wonder Years growing up I mean I can't specifically remember it as well as Dwayne did but I do remember having a big time crush on Winnie and I do remember enjoying and watching the show I think we will definitely dive in to what Dwayne is hoping to hear throughout the show today a little context Dwayne he may have been uh, a little bit older when he was as a kid watching the Wonder Years than you and I were the Wonder Years came out in 1988. But it was on until 93. It, that's true. You're absolutely right. The beginning, I definitely wasn't into serialized television. By the end, it was more part of my media diet. My probably less than 60-second summary. Summer is over for Kevin Arnold, and it is time to start the first day of junior high. Kevin's world changes as he goes through a horrible first day of school and comes home to find that his neighbor and love interest, brother has died in the Vietnam War. Things might be changing in Kevin's world in the 1960s suburbia, but Kevin and Winnie get their first kiss at least. 
Spoiler warning. Spoilers. They kiss. Yeah, I should have probably warned you first. All right, Drew, so I th- unless you want to add something, we're going to move on to high points. Do you mind if I just jump into my first high point? Go. Jump. Here's something I like to think about and something I like to view TV shows on and judge them on is how miserable do they make school look? Tends to correspond to how much do I trust this show or like this show? Glee made school look absolutely miserable for the students and teachers. Sometimes school is absolutely miserable for the students and teachers. Wonder Years did a similar job. The first episode of Wonder Years has a great, great showing, not telling, crappy first day of school for Kevin. In so many ways, Kevin just takes L after L. You know, like he can't win at school. School is torture for him. The first day of middle school is hard. And Kevin hates it. And I cannot stand TV shows where they just idealize school and the the protagonist is like the popular kid where everything's easy. That is not the majority of people who watch TV. So I like that The Wonder Years was speaking to me immediately from the outset. I like the authenticity of the school day. Jimbo, how did you react? I felt the same. I felt it did capture, especially from, I guess he was junior high, so he's like seventh grade i think it did capture that that shift from losing your recess and kind of adults and grown-ups expecting more from you which we definitely see from the i guess the principal and the lunch duty guy i think it did capture that really well especially from a young boy's perspective oh i'll get to it i mean that his perspective is part of my mvp but again I've cloaked my MVP in a series of codes, words and letters that you can see on our show notes, but I'll stop you there or I will stop there. What did you think of of Kevin's defiance? He kind of came off as like a really cool kid. I feel like if someone did that on the first day of school when I was in seventh grade, like I would have thought that kid was a little badass. Well, the authenticity of it is what I liked because as a teacher, we talk about this in like PD and I talk about this with students too is... Kevin's reaction and getting pissed off at the door is not because he's a little dick kid. He's not. Kevin's reaction is because of something that had just happened. Like his older brother was terrible to him. He made a mistake. He realized it was a, he made a mistake, but he's too young to be able to like cope with it maturely. And so he defies in a way that gets him in trouble. And that happens at school all the time. Like kids don't just decide to do something stupid. Like, something else happens that the teacher doesn't see. But what the teacher does see is the defiant behavior or the loud behavior. So I appreciate the show went to pains to show that Kevin was pissed off at his brother. And that's why he was being a defiant little dick. The teacher didn't see that. But the teacher reacted to what he did see. And that's unfair in the minds of, like, the kids. But, I mean, the teacher did the best it could. So, again, being a cyclops over here, I liked that the show showed that and it it like gave us insight into how crappy school really is my uh, next question i think will actually lead into the next high point what did you think about the parents reaction and involvement with that defiant act in that maybe i guess he doesn't end up getting in trouble but but what did you think about that part of the parent involvement my favorite part of the principal's office scene was like in his head, the stuff that he was saying, because I was like, I know kids say that crap like when they're in trouble. And you're like, what were you thinking? And in the kid's head, he's like, you're stupid. But then he said out loud, I don't know. Because he was kind of honest. Kids don't say it. So like, I enjoyed that part a lot. 
I think the mother asking questions and the father sitting back silently and being kind of scary is more a testament of the times, you know, because this show is very much of a time and transition, but still represents quote unquote normative American values. So I thought that was just demonstrative of the time, but I didn't read too deeply into it. Did you like, what were your thoughts on principal's office? Well, so, so the first thing I noticed was how excellent that, that scene was as far as he doesn't answer the questions, even though the responses he had inside his head, besides the smart ass ones were actually legit responses, but kids, you know, they kind of are guessing what they should say to not get in trouble or to try and get out of trouble. And so I felt like that did capture at least one authentic response to a kid who's about to get in trouble. And I thought it was a little bit strange because his mom's like grilling him, you know, like she wants to know like what's going on. She's obviously concerned. This is the first day of school and this is abnormal behavior from him, I think, which is a reasonable conclusion to come to at at this point. But I thought it was really strange how we don't know the dad's in the scene until the very end. And it was kind of like that, like, oh crap moments where you're like, oh yeah, dude, this kid's about to catch a beat down because the dad has no presence. It's just kind of like the camera just kind of spins toward him. And I thought that was a little bit awkward. I didn't really find it funny, but I guess it, I guess it increased the stakes for that scene or at least for Kevin to go home. what do you think about that? Or did you notice? I noticed, I assumed it was played for comedic effect. Did you find it funny though? I didn't. I think it was funnier 20 years ago. I think gender roles have evolved to the point that this is, seems antiquated, you know, that the dad sits back and doesn't say anything to the end. I think it was more of a funny joke for our parents and for the people that were watching this show in their 20s and 30s who maybe experienced this than necessarily us looking back. Because our generation, we did have some dads in the principal's office asking questions, whereas the moms, maybe they used to be more of the like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to take, I'm going to take account of what school is because the kids are kind of my job. And if your dad finds out about this, God help you, which the show kind of tackles because the show says in the dinner scene, your dad works really hard. God, please just sit down and shut up and I'm going to make his drink. And if he gets through his first drink, it's a good dinner. So, I mean, I think it's living in that world and it's emphasizing that world or it's portraying it for effect. So it's not like presenting this as this is the way things should be more like this is the way things were. And don't you remember this? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. So Jimbo, um, you're, you're going a little off script here. I'm looking at our show notes. There are a lot more show notes about Winnie Cooper that you put in than you're necessarily saying. So why don't you take the next high point and why don't you just talk to us about Winnie? Well, so, so this is more just my, nostalgia and recollection i remember having a crush on her and as i mentioned in the background i do think her her character plays plays an important part in that first episode because she's a foil character she's obviously showing maybe some some of the development of kevin as as the main character we we know he likes her because he's constantly talking about her but he pretends and acts like he doesn't and she's kind of you know maybe comes off a little bit nerdy and this might sound weird but dude, she's, I mean, she was hot, you know, like if you were a kid back then, like Winnie's a hot chick, you know, although that kind of sounds weird as a 30 year old talking about a 12 year old or whatever, however old she was. She's definitely different things in different aspects of the audience. 
I would say, Jimbo, that, yeah, like when, when Creepers in 1988, who were 25, watching me like, whoa, Winnie Cooper's hot, that's problematic. That's problematic in, uh, in 2017, too. So, yeah, I, think, I don't think either of us is saying Winnie Cooper is hot, but I think we're both saying at the time when you're watching in 1988, if you're a kid, you're like, whoa, the cute girl next door. And even as an adult, you're saying, wow, she's probably going to grow up to be a beautiful young woman. Puberty's crazy. Those kids look, I mean, I teach middle school. Those kids look nothing like they did from sixth to eighth grade. Like, it's a radical physical transformation. So it's kind of interesting how they cast child actors and I guess cross their fingers that things don't get too weird. Uh, Jimbo, you also did some research for a high point on the writing team for this pilot. Can you talk about the the writing staff? I usually link the Wikipedia pages because there's no ads on it. And it's just a good source for anyone that's checking our website, which has show notes. I noticed that there was two writers. And I noticed that one of the writers' name was Carol. And so I actually did do a little research. This is the first woman writer of any of the pilots we've done and we are on episode eight yes we are our first seven episodes were all male um, authors all white male authors or writers well uh, one is one punch man is one punch man by uh, an american author or a japanese oh you're right no that's definitely a japanese but there you know I'm, I'm gonna count him as white i guess still bros all bros all bros. Hey, well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily count people as ethnicities without asking them first. Well, I don't speak Japanese. He probably speaks English, but we're definitely not going to be able to contact him. Whatever. We'll move on from there. So, yeah, but Carol Black is definitely a woman. Okay. Not saying she's not. And she's the, the co-writer and creator with her husband or partner, according to Wikipedia, Neil. Um, and they have different last names, but it, it did say that they were married. I thought the show represented a good balance of of having that maybe yin and yang or that, you know, like having a woman presence, I think, says a lot for a collaborative creation, especially for a TV show. And I mean, I can't really say how much she contributed to the to the directing of it, but I think her writing kind of shows ha having a good balance. It wasn't, you know, it definitely wasn't supernatural or even Earl or, you know, or those other shows that, that kind of fit like, you know, the cliche, you know, dude sit sitcom type. Well, I mean, the West Wing definitely had a voice and it was not female centric. No. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily even like a dude thing. It could be a non dude bro show. But, you know, we watched the West Wing and not a strong female presence. And this show actually didn't have. It didn't have a strong female presence either, but the females were there. And I think the storytelling you know, reflects that female writer being in, in the process. I would agree in places. Um, I think there's definitely a female voice in several places in this episode. I think that the fem I think that the episode is lacking a female voice in a key place, but maybe it isn't. Um, we'll get to that. I think there's potential. I mean, I mean, the sister has, is a strong character. The mom, she has a presence in the principal's office, at least Winnie's going to have, you know, a strong role. I like the mom's presence at dinner when she's like get prepping the kids being like, Hey, like sit down, shut up. I'm putting dinner out. Like this is how your father likes it. Like, you know, she's definitely a driving force of the family. She's greasing the wheels. She's keeping things moving while dad is paying the bills. But you know, take mom out of the picture. And I assume that that oh, house sure. falls apart. Those kids worlds probably fall apart. Cause dad's not making a, Dad's not making the sandwiches and the lunches and whatnot. Although I guess what well, looks like Kevin's eating school lunch. Mom is making the drinks so that dad can come home and drink his drink. That's helpful. 
<laughs> I'm not sure if you defended your stance, but uh, yeah, she's there. No, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying it like without mom, the house falls apart, Definitely. you know, and that's a very 19, that's a very 1960s thing. And so I would say that, you know, mom doesn't just show her stuff when she's in the principal's office. I would say mom really pushes herself out there when she's like putting four things together, having dinner ready as soon as like dad walks through the door, which is not easy, by the way. I make dinner some nights and sometimes that stuff takes forever. Um, but she's got it ready like when, uh, what's it called? Dad walks through the door and dad doesn't say thank you, which he could, but doesn't. Um, he just grabs his drink and it's time to, you know, start eating. You think you think dad works in a factory? He wears a tie to work. I don't remember. It's pretty obvious that he's the single household income. But back in the 60s, you know, that could be most jobs probably. That's fair. It's just he wears a tie. Probably sells, you know, he probably sells dishwashers or something, you know. I'm sure dishwashers or microwaves. That's it. Well, I was trying to I was trying to think of a job where he would come home as fatigued as he is and be like, "Give me my drink and shut up." Yeah, sales, dude. He he's definitely in sales. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, now viewers, when I say he's definitely in sales, I do not know that he's definitely in sales. I'm just making an assumption based off his appearance. But you know what, viewers, if you know what his job is, tweet at us. I've already plugged the website at least once, and I'm going to plug it again just in case. Um, go if you disagree with us on anything, go to the website, be bold, and toss out some comments. Make you know, make your voice heard and i will comment and i will argue with you and if you make a really good comment you know we might even come back to it next week on the show on the uh, closing shop talk so jimbo that seems like a lot of high points um do you mind if i seg us into low points definitely let's go so here's a low point and you really got to listen for this one in the pilot i'm not sure if this goes with the rest of the series i noticed it specifically in the pilot just because as we've talked about before, sometimes when we watch these shows, again, we are watching as pilot viewers for this podcast. And I just noticed there's this weird tone of defiance at the beginning of the show, defending the suburbs at the end of the show when he's kissing her. And he's like, you know, Winnie and I never talked about it, but I knew when she was listening to some blowhard talking about the suburbs and how they were BS, that we had real feelings, that we had true feelings in those Wonder years. I don't know. It was at the beginning of the show. It was at the end of the show. It struck me as a little bit passive aggressive. I talked to my dad about this, actually, because I was like, why Why is he defending the suburbs? Why is he pushing back? And he was telling me that, again, when this show came out in 1988, like, this was kind of my dad's um, generation. Like, he was a little bit older because he did register for the draft. You know, um, he didn't get called up, but he had to put his name in and stuff. So it was the end of the Vietnam War. So my dad was more Winnie's brother's age, but he says that when the show came out, it really did kind of speak to his generation, which were the people not yet in power. But still, I don't know, man. I don't think you have to defend the suburbs this hard. Like were people really anti-suburb, which to me, I feel like has always been the pinnacle of like the quote unquote American white picket fence dream. Thoughts, Jimbo? Yeah, he, yeah, they're definitely defensive about the suburbs, which would actually fit more with how people view the suburbs today and not maybe how people viewed the suburbs in the late eighties. Okay. Yeah, no. Okay. I completely agree. Yeah. Like who's he pushing back on? Like who's, so that was a low point. And you know, that's kind of stuck with me. Cause I was like, dude, like 
I I don't know. I was like, who are you being this defensive with? Who are you telling this story to that you have to be this defensive with? I mean, there's a fine line between self-deprecation, which is funny, and being kind of passive-aggressive, which I feel like this show could get away with one. Like that introduction where you read it, that's that's self-deprecating. That's the only thing. Coming back to it at the end, being like, my childhood was real. No one's saying it's not, dude. No one's saying it's not. Well, I guess you need to build up that drama. I found the the narration or the narrator both, and I almost liked it. But but as you mentioned, there you know there were these times where, and like I didn't see it the same way as you, as far as being defensive, but it but it just didn't quite fit in at times as well. So I was I was pretty intrigued by it. And obviously, you know, the narrator is extremely unreliable. He's he's talking in, in the opening scenes. The viewer is watching the civil rights movement, riots, uh, you know, the protests in the Olympics, the Vietnam War. This is all our, our images, you know, and we have Joe uh, Crocker singing, you know, the Beatles. But he's talking about, like, how many home runs somebody hit and and how, you know, he had to grow up and, he you know, is this his childhood was over. So, so I thought that was really strange as far as, as far as how they filmed it. Like what was the purpose of showing all that negative things from the sixties? And then the narrator is talking about his uh, specific moments in his life that obviously were not important in the bigger scheme of the 1960s at all. And I know I just went on a bit of a tangent. So, so how, so, so did you notice either of those things? I thought that the montage at the front was played as a counterpoint to the narrator's description of the suburbs because the montage at the front is just to get the viewer back to this is a turbulent time of change. Look what's happening in America. And then when it cut to his description of the suburbs and the description of his, his childhood, I think it was a not comparison, but just like a way to get you to see the two things are happening simultaneously. America is in a time of great change. Kevin Arnold is also in a time of great change, but it's all happening to him on a micro scale. And even though you don't see these things that are happening, I think that the intro, the first part, is just all about change and growth. To me, that is the purpose of the montage. Do you agree? That opening is is getting close to my uh, MVP. But but what do you think that says about him as an adult nar- narrator in the late 80s? Uh, I mean, is he just that, like, oblivious to, like, you know, the historical events? I think so. You know what I mean? Because, like, he's talking about the 60s, and he's more concerned with, with the dude that hit thir- 31 home runs that summer. You know what I mean? Or, or, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I No, I caught that. I mean, the thing is, I think they were juxtaposed is the word I want to use. That by juxtaposing the turbulence of the 60s with his life, yeah. you're seeing the viewpoint of those things from his point of view as an 11-year-old. I mean, he's 11, you know, and he lives in the suburbs. Like, those things are happening. No, 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 no. The narrator is not 11. I know, but he's telling the story from Kevin's point of view. As an adult, though. Yeah, but it, as an adult, he's telling it from his own point of view. Well, of course. Who else? That's why he's unreliable, because when he's, when he's in the principal's office... He's speaking as himself in that moment. When he's kissing Winnie Cooper at the end, 
he's speaking from the future about himself. He does both. Yeah, but when he's talking about what made this the disadvantages of the suburbs and the advantages of the country and there being stories of love, like that is not from the 11-year-old. You're right, but I mean that makes him unreliable. And you just accepted it? Because I, I don't know, man. I just found it strange. Yeah, I mean, well, that's where suspension of disbelief comes in. I think that it was a good cut. I think that if you lived through that time period, you were like, I remember that. I remember that. If you didn't live through that time period, you kind of looked at it and you were like, whoa, all those things happened. Um, And then if you were somewhere in between, it's still, you know, its job was to introduce you to introduce you to Kevin and at the time it did that. So I think it accomplished its job. Not did you like the editing choice, but did it set you up for this is the 60s and I am looking at Kevin's point of view? Yes. Yes, it did. I I just thought at times him as the adult, you know, having hindsight just didn't didn't quite fit with the show. That's fair. And I think I'm reading the show note. Why don't we save that for your MVP? All right, let's move on. Yeah. And Jimbo, you have a low point about the storytelling. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so this so this has nothing to do with what we just talked about. I was shocked when I noticed that the bar was, you know, three quarters done with the show and we had barely seen anything at all. So when I found out the show was only 20 minutes, I was shocked and I was a little disappointed. And I think it, it definitely came off. A lot of the scenes were very rushed and the storytelling in general was rushed as well. And I, and that and that had to be a low point. This this episode would have been a lot better had the writers and the directors had 40 minutes to work with. A complete agree over here. Here's where things were glaring for me. There were two instances where, for, I assume, time reasons, the show cut. And these were relatively small things. But we've, we've talked about hoisting or not hoisting shows. And after we did the Supernatural episode, and I was very offended by your taste to not hoist it, but we hoisted it as a as a show, which was fine. That was the right thing to do. One thing we talked about off mic and after show was, I feel like the show could have been not hoisted if the girlfriend had gone on the adventure. Like if there was a small turning point, if there had been a tweak. If the girlfriend had gone on the adventure and we got to know her and she wasn't just fridged, then I think it would have been a better pilot, maybe a, a, a not hoisted pilot. I'm not saying I'm going to hoist the Wonder Years, But I think if we tweaked it just a tiny bit and if we tweaked it so that we got to hear the conversation at the dinner table when the sister asked for birth control pills or if we tweaked it so that the father had a conversation with the son and we'd seen his point of view, not just as the cranky old guy who comes home and drinks, but as how does that dad communicate with his son? Because the son is an abject fear of him. He thinks he's going to get his ass beat because he's like, my brother has gotten beaten three times in his life. I didn't know what to expect. I wish that the show had had the time to show the father sit down and maybe talk to his son about control and anger. Maybe that's a conversation, not an ass beating. So those are two big deals in terms of the rush storytelling. I feel like there was a lot more there and the characters were great. So, I mean, I want to see them interact. What do you think about those two instances, Jimbo? Yeah, I think those are two perfect examples. I mean, the sister seems like an extremely interesting character, and we get almost nothing about her. That was definitely due to time constrictions. I feel 
the father too. And we, and we could even toss the mom in there as well. Like they're like, you know, we could have developed the mom a little bit more as well when she's maybe getting them to dinner or maybe she's taking care of something before she calls in Kevin or, you know, some, something along those lines for uh, the mother as well. And I think that's, that's a big difference between the good shows that come on today. You know, they have more time because the standard show now is one hour, but it gives them, you know, the chance to uh, develop more characters as well. I think there are more dramedies on TV nowadays. There are 40 minutes that blend drama and comedy. And I think they probably benefited from a post Wonder Years world. I was surprised when we started watching because I, in my head, I was like, every episode's going to be 42 minutes. You know, I know there's drama in it. So, I mean, I think I remembered the drama of the show. And to me, I guess in the preceding years, those dramedies started popping up, which were 42 minute comedic dramas. Jimbo, are you ready for my last low point? Yeah, let's move. This is like my low point, but it might also be Dwayne's low point and what Dwayne might have been talking about in his background, which is I want to talk about the the nostalgia trap because we've talked about the reliability of the narrator. We've talked about the time period. And you and I talked about us liking this show 25 years ago when we watched it. So this is a little bit of a dangling thread, but also what's the nostalgia trap ratio on this show? Like, how much is the nostalgia of us watching this show creeping in? How iconic is Winnie Cooper in every young man in America who right now is between the ages of 28 and 45? How much is our viewing of this show affecting us watching this show? And also, is this the viewpoint of a very specific slice of America? Yeah, so you have so you have two questions, and your second question, absolutely, this is a very specific slice, which which we can talk about afterwards. But yeah, let's let's go back to the first question. It is hard to take away what you remember and felt because obviously memories are strongly, you know, there's a strong correlation with any memory that has a strong emotion. So when we have these strong emotions from a show when we're young, we can't just like separate that emotion that comes back when we watch it as an adult. So it definitely plays a big part. I would say that, that I was watching this show pretty objectively and, you know, not to, not to jump, jump the gun too much, but I mean, it held up. I wasn't really sure what to think of it because, because you, you had mentioned that it was critically acclaimed and I did notice it won a lot of awards, even the first year. So I mean it was it was a very successful show from day 1 practically and I think it held you know it holds up mostly well I mean yeah we have some low points but I think it deserves to have the uh nostalgia that that it has and and my nostalgia wasn't that strong of a factor in my viewing the show this last week if that so I th- I think I answered your question what do you think my nostalgia factor of this show is strong like And it's interesting when nostalgia creeps up because I had some remembrances of this show, very scant ones, no specific episodes. I forgot huge plot points of this first episode. When the Wonder Years came up, when it was like the fake home movie with the Pat Croce cover, I remembered every single thing that happened in that in that opener, like the brother sitting on top of him, punching him and hugging him. I was like, oh, wow, this is way more ingrained in my childhood than I thought. So I think I might have been overly critical, perhaps in my first viewing. I did watch it twice. I'm going to come back to this in the dangling threads, but 
the nostalgia show about nostalgia, which made me nostalgic, like somewhere Dan Harmon is just like spinning on his couch. The the self-referentialness of watching The Wonder Years in 2017 to think about it as a product of its time is real indulgent. Maybe I'll say that. Very self-indulgent. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it's like a 90s or 2000s hip hop, you know, rapper who thinks self-proclaimed the greatest ever. And now I'm just babbling. That's that's my last low point though. You got any more low points? No, man, I think I'm good. So we are going to move on to MVPs, but before we do that, I have to urinate. Plug our ad, dude. I'm going to go pee. Let's kick it over to an ad. Jimbo, are you tired of those awkward clogging incidences at your friend's house? Don't be that guy who clogs the toilet after dinner the first time eating at a new lady's house. Or don't be that family member that's to drive all the way to a hardware store after a holiday meal to buy a plunger or a snake. The answer is here. Call Sneaky Snake. Sneaky Snake will find the current occupied bathroom window at that house to sneak you the pr- proper plumbing tools incognito. And get this. The Sneaky Snake van does not say Sneaky Snake Toilet Snaking. It says Cable Company. Because Sneaky Snake is cool like that. That new date or large family waiting right outside the door will never know what was in the room when it happened. But wait. If the Sneaky Snake doesn't unclog you in less than five minutes, your next snake is on them. Add Sneaky Snake to your contacts now at 1-800-SNEAKY-S1 or go to their website www.geocities.com backslash sneaky snakes 1984 thank you and keep your sneak on all right mvp why don't you go ahead and start us off sir so my mvp is the older brother and not just the older brother but the space that the older sibling takes in this pilot kevin is a younger brother kevin is a younger sibling and part of what adds the authenticity to the show that makes it authentic and universal is just the ways that having an older sibling can make your life shitty in school or just shitty in general. My sister was way smarter than me and a much better student and just a nicer person and better at sports in high school. And so I was three years younger. So when I got to classes, they were like, oh, you're Zan's brother. And so in the same way that Kevin, you know, had a hard time because his brother was a dick. I had a hard time because people thought I was going to be awesome. I wasn't awesome, but I was like, that's so real. And also I'm a teacher And so when I get the siblings of kids who I've taught before, I should have more of an open mind, but I default to that. I know your brother. What are you like? So the older brother was also torturous. The older brother made his life worse in the ways that only older siblings can. Jimbo, I feel like from our interactions, you are the oldest sibling, or at least you have a younger brother that I hear you talk about. Did you identify with the older brother and the authenticity of it the ways I did, or were you like, Haha, ha, that was funny what happened in the cafeteria. I should do that to my brother soon. Thoughts? I am not the oldest brother, but my younger brother and I grew up together. My older brother is from my dad's first marriage, and he did not live with us growing up. But I was only one grade above my brother, which I guess is Kevin should only be one grade above because they're in a junior high school and it's seventh and eighth grade, but he's significantly bigger. I was never like that to 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 my brother at school and we and we didn't really associate at school all that much until we were maybe older but I do remember one time uh <laughs> I can't remember what happened exactly but my brother pissed me off right before the bus came showed up to pick us up to go to school and we and we were probably in either close to middle school 
you know, like fifth or sixth grade, but I punched him right in the face, like right, like literally like a few seconds before the bus got, got there. And so he got on the bus and he was already he, like, he was crying. Cause I just socked him in the face. And, uh, and yeah, was, I mean, looking back, like that was kind of, kind of messed up, but that's, that's probably one of the only things that I can think of where like I did something messed up to, to my brother at school. And I, and I'm sure I had a couple more, but like, but like that, that one stands out and he does bring it up sometimes still. Of course he does. But... Jimbo. I want you to ask him how <laughs> yeah. he feels about this because in your mind, in your reality, in your experience, you're like, yeah, those were small things, dude. If he still brings it up, they might be bigger in his head. I would like for you to ask him about that before the next podcast. And maybe we, okay. maybe we can come okay, back we'll to that. Good. But I, I'm very interested in like what his impression of having an older brother at school was because I love my sister. She's great. We got way closer after she went away to college, if that lets you know about what our dynamic was. But I've heard that's very common with a lot of brothers and sisters that it there's a lot of friction growing up, brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers and sisters, but that things get better when there's a little distance and a little bit of wisdom involved like adding some age i could i mean i could see that like i said we didn't we we didn't really hang out at school until we were older like until like maybe closer to graduating we definitely hung out more when i was like a a senior i would say because we had well we had some we had like like a lot of the same friends even though our school was 1200 people we had a lot of the same friends so once we were older we definitely hung out more at school and but uh but yeah, I would say, you know, my brother obviously is the one close person to me. Like when I went away, that that was always like close. Whereas some of my other friends, they, you know, we fade in and out and, you know, come back or at different points in life and things like that, where like my brother's like always been there. So that's, so that, so that would be like a big difference, I guess. But it was, I guess it kind of started before, you know, in high school as well. But uh, sorry, this, that's getting a little off topic as well. But but getting back to uh, your other point about, I mean, as the older brother, we I you know we were super competitive, but I was always a better athlete and a little bit taller and a little bit stronger. So I mean, I always had physical power over my brother. Until maybe a few years ago, he did he did take me down wrestling like seven or eight times in a row, and then uh, you know we I I stopped wrestling with him. <laughs> I think that in my in my low point, I made a point to say that this is that parts of the uh, parts of Wonder Years do speak only to a very specific part of America. Um, but I think that the parts with the older brother and the frustration at school that was so much universal authenticity that I was like, man, like you know, older brothers and older sisters who kind of piss you off and kind of make you miserable. That that translates to more than just suburban little dude bros. Like I feel like that's one a nice yeah for universal sure. point. And Jimbo, it just makes me happy that like I hid my MVP. I didn't tell you what it was, but when I revealed it and I said that older brothers being assholes or older siblings being terrible, you had a story immediately that is terrible, Jimbo. Like if I was your little <laughs> brother, I would bring that shit up nowadays too. Because did you ever apologize? Let me ask you that question. Uh, no, you could right now, and I bet you he would. I bet you it would make him feel better. No, no, okay. You know what? I'll ask him if it would make him feel better. I'm. Not, I don't think I'm going to apologize though. 
I, I, I was pretty sure when I asked you to do that that I was like, there's no way Jimbo's actually going to apologize. But you know what? I'm going to see what he says. So you know what? You heard it, viewers. You heard it, 35 people who subscribe. Jimbo's going to ask his brother if he would like an apology. And next week, we're going to find out what his brother said. Maybe we'll get an apology, but I suspect we will not. You know what? Okay, another fun story. So... <laughs> So we we had we had like when it rained a lot in the you know winter time we had some some little creeks that went through our property that went into the neighbors had a huge pond because they had cattle and uh, <laughs> so it was cold it's the middle of winter you know it, like it, it's not freezing outside but it's cold de- definitely cold and this was when pogs were cool and I told my brother if he went outside and went over to the creek and swam in it I would give him all my pogs and so he goes out there. And he jumps in the he jumps in the pond in the middle of winter, freezing cold outside, not literally. And he swims around a little bit and comes out. And dude, when he first steps out, I I like I take off running towards the house. And I'm like yelling back at him, "I ain't giving you shit." <laughs> oh, he definitely bring dude. He's still pissed off about those pogs today. In fact, my dad loves to bring it up because. It was one of those things like, you know, and I keep trying to give him the pogs back. He doesn't want them now. He's, you know, he's, he wants the apology, Jimbo. But, uh, he wants the apology, probably. Yeah, maybe I, because I think I it. may have apologized for that. But, but, uh, Johnny, that's my brother, okay? You know, I just, uh, yep. he, w- he was a way worse kid than me growing up. So he has way worse stories than me. He doesn't need any apologies. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope Johnny's one of our 35 subscribers, and I hope he's still subscribing next week. We love you, Johnny. <laughs> you know what, Johnny? If you're watching, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry I socked you in the face before the bus came. I'm sorry I tricked you into swimming in the cold pond for pogs that ended up being worthless six months later. Um, I know one time when we were boxing, I definitely purposely punched you in the kidney. I'm sorry for that, too. One time, I, one time I tricked him into having my mom kick his ass. I'm sorry for that one too, but that one's really funny. I'll save that for another day. Yeah, yeah. Remind me late, later on when you know when we're short on time about the time I yeah. I tricked my mom into kicking Johnny's ass. That was a good one. Yeah. And you know what? On that note, Zan, if you wanna if you wanna text me and apologize for some stuff, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Older brothers and sisters, if this is the watershed moment where you want to let your younger brothers and sisters know that you knew it fucked with them and you knew it made their lives harder, that's fine. You know, just just apologize. I You lose nothing via an apology. You literally lose nothing. It's Yeah, and Zan, I am, I am willing to purchase 15 seconds worth of airtime for you to give a global apology to Drew in front of the Pilots and Petard's viewers. So... Uh, feel feel free to contact me and and I will pay out of pocket for your 15 seconds, okay? And Zan, it can be an apology on behalf of all older siblings to all younger siblings. Ooh, so that would could, be nice. We, we could heal some rifts here on Pilots and Petards. Uh, nothing for the middle kids. Those guys are weird. This is only about older brothers and youngest siblings. Nothing for the middle. That's kind of weird, but all right. All right, so Jimbo, Jimbo, what's 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 your MVP? All right, so my MVP, even though I kind of was was tiptoeing around it and I wasn't necessarily sure how I felt about the the narrator, um, the opening mood of the show I thought was extremely intriguing. Like when when I was watching the beginning of the show, I was like, oh my god, this show is going to be awesome. And so that was my MVP. Just just the uh, you know I already mentioned you know the Joe Crocker 
of With a Little Help from My Friends. That song is just awesome. And it really plays into the series in the future, you know, with a little help from, from my friends. I mean, obviously the, his friends and the people around him, Kevin, are going to play such a huge role in his life and the story that that unfolds over the next six years. So I felt like that opening and just and just like the timepiece, it really I mean, it was it was kind of a weird mood because they were they were focusing on all the negative things about the 60s, not necessarily negative. I guess the civil rights is is definitely positive, but it was all the riot. It showed Robert Kennedy. The tone was definitely kind of, kind of dark, at least. What do you think of that mood or tone of that opening scene? You know, I discussed it before. I think it's effective. I think it's effective in how it set the stage for the time period, because, you know, the mom really does live in that different time or the different expectation of gender roles. And without the opening, she's going to have to have a heavier lift. So the opening does a lot of telling, which allows a lot of showing later. You know, the little bit of the the setting dump at the front is more effective because, again, I'll get back to Supernatural and make fun of it. Supernatural does like drips and drabs of exposition and setting throughout the entire 42 minutes. To me, it's never organic. To me, it never works. This show does almost all of its exposition dump in the first, what, like 50 seconds. And then it's, and then just the rest of the way you're there. I like how the opening sets the mood. I like how the opening sets the table and I like how the opening really almost effortlessly complements the rest of the pilot. I feel like if the pilot wasn't as strong or if the pilot didn't allude to certain things, cause it does, you know, like, the opening talks about the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War plays a part pilot. The opening talks about women's liberation. The daughter brings up birth control pills. There wasn't any civil rights, though. The civil rights were kind of just out there. But they were definitely a, a big part of the you know the 60s. Yeah, Same thing with, you're right. with the MLK assassination, the Robert Kennedy assassination. I Well, well Jimbo, Jimbo, I noticed one black kid wearing gl- glasses in the cafeteria. So I was like, oh, some integration. Nice. Cool. Go back. Go back on the rewatch. There's one black kid. They were ahead um, of their time, man. Wonder Years was ahead of their time. I Well, very much of Buffy the Vampire Slayer's time in terms of its ratio of uh, not white people. But the op- the opening had had two songs and, and and the music was also good. And I felt that also played in, in, into the uh, mood and tone, like the mood, like, dude, those songs are just awesome songs. And so you, it kind of draws you in with good music, the voiceover and, you know, the slideshow and then the exposition. And it just, yeah, just like you said, it was very effective. This is not going to be a dangling thread. Cause we're we're running long. I think there's gonna be some edits, but uh, and you can edit that out. But um, <laughs> the music is a big part of the reason this show is tough to find. Um, when the show is produced, you know, uh, sitcoms they sign these deals, but syndication was out there, but digital distribution and DVDs and VHSs were not. You could license the show for reshowing on cable for syndication, but those the rights for the songs like the pat croce song it's a beatles song those are hard songs to license for distribution in terms of streaming services or dvds so this show was critically acclaimed but it was very hard to watch for for decades while while seven seasons of babylon 5 was coming out you know collector's edition you couldn't get the wonder years and by the way if your favorite show is babylon 5 i don't care that i offended you 
In fact, why don't you write us a review and request that we watch Babylon 5? That would show us. In a future episode. Fuckers. Yeah, take that, Drew. You cyclops. Take that, you. Drew. But uh, the point is, The Wonder Years is way more famous, won way more awards, and you could not purchase it on DVD. You could not watch it on Netflix. It just wasn't available, and a big part of it is that excellent music you're talking about. So it's an MVP, but it also ended up being an Achilles heel. For marketing purposes, yes. Let's move on, man. So, so Jimbo, that's great for MVPs, but let's return to that very specific trademark part of our show, which is the Crabman Award, named after the Crabman from My Name is Earl, a, a, a quote-unquote bit player, if you will, but his contribution was huge compared to his limited screen time. Jimbo, do you have a crab man for this? And is is this crab man crab related? I think so. So Winnie's bro is is my nomination for the Crab Man Award. I feel he has very little screen time, and of course he is a huge, a huge player as far as the storytelling of the show, tying in the Vietnam War with this this neighborhood. And so yeah, he is in my opinion, by far the crab man. Very much agreed. Very much showing and not telling. Um, the way they describe his car, the way they describe the aura of coolness in the neighborhood that Winnie Cooper's older brother has establishes the character immediately. He has no lines. He has a line. He tells he uh, tells the brother like stop 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 messing with Kevin or something, but not in those words. Oh, okay. I, mean, I don't even remember that. I just remember him as like this this figure who represented something. He's like smoking a cigarette. He has like, oh yeah, he's oh yeah, he's he's smoking a cig. His hair is greased up, jeans, white t shirt, working on an El Camino. No one could be cooler to a ten year old. That's why he's the crab man. You know, he's the epitome of cool. He's the apotheosis of cool on that block, which makes his death fucked up. And, you know, to go back to, uh, you know, just being a cool dude like the crab man from Glee, he seems like a cool dude. He's working on his car. He's minding his own business. He's actually keeping order among the younger kids in the, you know, in the neighborhood. And he's kind of doing the right thing. He's an innocent victim of, of a war that should have never been fought. And I felt like just that, just that whole dynamic just does wonders for the wonder years. So Jimbo, then let me ask you this. Are you adding a caveat that the Crab Man Award must also be a positive figure. No, definitely not. Okay, never mind. Okay, never mind. Then. But this one was. You're you're correct. Crab Man Award by unanimous decision, Winnie's brother. Faux show. So Jimbo, I want to transition from the Crab Man Award for for Winnie's brother to a dangling thread about Winnie's first kiss, and I think you can take this away. So can you talk to us about why Winnie's first kiss is a dangling thread? So this is another maybe rush storytelling as well. A very strange scene at the end. Com- a combination of of the narration, like the fact that Kevin is is so uh, sure that Winnie still thinks of this first kiss, with it being so close to her brother's tragic death, is pretty strange. I don't want to say creeping on a woman in distress, but it's in the back of my mind. Those are my comments, and we can dive into either or both of those what do you think it struck me and you know it's me as two things i didn't mention it in the rush storytelling as a low point but yes like winnie cooper being at this place so close to her brother's death kevin he he says in the scene that he didn't admit it to himself but he wanted her to be there 
can you hear me sighing uncomfortably? I want that to come across. Uh, yes. Okay, good. As long as it's coming up on mic. That's weird. I don't want to say problematic. I don't want to say disturbing. It's it's innocence. It's a moment of innocence for both of them that's made clear by the actors, by the tone, by the music. It's a moment of innocence. It's a moment of change. It also happens in very close proximity to the announcement of her brother's death. That's odd. I would say if you take away the kiss, it's not odd. What do you think about that? Well, I think I think the kiss is integral to the pilot. I think, we don't need the kiss in that first show. Well, I think we need the kiss in the show itself. I don't think we need the kiss in the pilot. This might be one of those tweaks. That's what I mean. No, yeah, sorry. It could, you're right. It could have been a very quiet moment. It could have been him giving her his jacket. It could have been them holding hands and her crying and him you know, just giving her silent, silent support. It could have been that it was the kiss, which weird, but yeah, I think the kiss ends up being an editing decision and an editorial decision. And I'm not sure how organically it comes about. Was the kiss always there? Did the network want the kiss to really set the tone of the show? Did the creators always want this, but maybe they envisioned an hour long show and they were like, this is, you have to make this a sitcom for 20 minutes. So I have questions about the kiss. That's why it's a dangling thread and not a low point. Yeah, and maybe we're looking too too deep into it in the with current events and everything. But it's definitely rush storytelling. I, I mean, that's that that's for sure. It is. Well, let's let's take that to another dangling thread, Jimbo, and talk to me about what are your thoughts on a twenty-two minute sitcom pilot versus a forty-two minute pilot? What are some big differences, and how do you think that affects the performance of a pilot like? The Wonder Years, or My Name is Earl. Well, I think for My Name is Earl, it's fine. It works a lot better than in direct comparison to The Wonder Years. I think, as as we mentioned before, Wonder Years would have benefited from a longer show, whereas My Name is Earl probably wouldn't have. In fact, My Name is Earl may have suffered from a 40-minute 40, a 40 show. Maybe not the very first pilot episode, but future episodes. I have a different take on that in terms of comparing Wonder Years to My Name is Earl. I think my criticism for My Name is Earl that I originally had is still valid. The rush storytelling at the end, because I feel like Wonder Years, as a sitcom, as a 22-minute sitcom, did a better job establishing itself as a pilot with tone, direction, and storytelling than My Name is Earl did, because My Name is Earl really spent about 17 minutes on the premise of the show then spent five minutes telling a story involving Earl and the premise. The Wonder Years, on the other hand, with that really strong opening you talked about, established the premise of the show. And then from about like minute three or four through minute 22, it does tell a story of Kevin Arnold, where Kevin Arnold has a beginning, a rise, a fall, and an end. So I would say that... Yes, I totally agree with you. My name is Earl doesn't need 40 minutes to tell its story. It tells an effective story in 24 minutes. I would say that the Wonder Years could have used 42 minutes. I definitely think it should have. But I would also say that as a 22-minute sitcom pilot, where the pilot has to not only tell a story, but establish the groundwork and be entertaining, I think Wonder Years was a more effective sitcom pilot than My Name is Earl. What are your thoughts? Uh, I didn't think directly prior to you asking me right now. I haven't really considered comparing those two directly. 
as far as the effectiveness of an ep- of the pilot episode. I personally like Earl a lot better, but I can see your description of, of those two being valid. Earl, I, I think, sells sells its show I'll say just just as well as as Wonder Years. I think Jimbo, when we come to when we come to our special bonus episode, after ten full pilots, we have a plan and it's gonna require some direct comparison. Definitely. So. Earl's gonna be up there. Earl's I th- I think we're gonna be ar- arguing about, about the placement of Earl in uh, the Wonder Years. But that's fine. Until then. Oh Jimbo, I, I certainly think we will. I certainly think we will, but I want to. I want to take some Yoda, you know, like your feelings. Don't don't let your feelings cloud your judgment on this one. Like my feelings, my feelings will always cloud my judgment. I I like Return of the Jedi better than the new Star Wars movies. Okay, so that's valid, and I feel like I feel like feelings feelings are clouding a lot of judgment <laughs> there, but that's okay. Now, now Jimbo. Now, Jimbo, you you edit the show, so you'll hear my special message to our viewers. Uh, you've heard it on text message a lot too. Now, Jimbo, are you okay with that being the end of our dangling threads? Because I feel like that's a good transition to our a really interesting dangling thread. Yeah did 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 we hash out the uh, all the nostalgia talk? Are we good on that? No, that's what I that's what I think we're trans. I think that's what we're transitioning oh, to with your feelings about my name. Yeah, is let's Earl. let's go, man, for sure. So, so here's my thing. I think Dwayne's message, the, the implicit message of Dwayne's message is nostalgia betrays us. Nostalgia clouds our judgment. Nostalgia doesn't allow us to um, really evaluate art, which is what the TV is. The shows are. It is art because it's, you know, it's a creative venture where the experience lies between the product and the viewer. To me, it's the definition of art, which is why art can be a lot of different things. So my question just wants to delve deeper into is a show explicitly about nostalgia going to cloud us with nostalgia when we look back on it 25 years ago and is looking at things with nostalgia a good idea? Like should Dwayne go back and look at Wonder Years if he already has really strong feelings about it and thinks highly of it now? Well, there's certain – so nostalgia is certainly going to cloud our judgment. It would be very difficult to isolate – that that variable and those emotions as as we kind of touched on earlier in the show so yeah it's cert it certainly does and then so we have another question should Dwayne should he just be satisfied with his memories of this show and how fond it was or should he go back and roll the dice and risk maybe losing that nostalgia for a show that he really loved and you know I would tell Dwayne go back and watch it again man and if and who cares, dude? If you know, if Wonder, if Wonder Years doesn't really hold up, I mean, does that really do anything significant to your to your childhood? I hope not, you know, because I I'd probably be responsible for that. But um, I don't think it would. I say, if it if it clouds you, who? I mean, whatever. Who cares? Like, if you can enjoy a show, great. If not, then that's cool too. You find another one. There's plenty of shows out there. So I, I want to respond to those two questions. So the first one is. I think that nostalgia is the enemy of the rewatch because I don't trust our own memories. I don't trust our own internal narrators. You know, I think that, and I've seen those like movies on YouTube or on Facebook where it's like, there are psychological phenomena where we believe that 
the past was rosier than it was and that the future is shittier than it's going to be. So I make a conscious effort to try and not look back with nostalgia, but it's there. It's real. And it's a big part of everything. Like, dude, I love Tauntauns. I love Tauntauns because my cousin gave me the Tauntaun, which had the little rubber belly where you could take your little Han Solo and shove it into the belly. You know, like that affects how I watch Tauntauns. Cause when I watch Empire, I'm like, Oh, Tauntauns, that's nostalgia. I appreciate the role nostalgia plays and how we think about old stuff. I don't think we should let nostalgia, like if you and I were having a talk about ranking the Star Wars movies and you and I were having a big talk about where Return of the Jedi goes, I would want you to watch Return of the Jedi because I feel like when you want to make critical judgments about art, nostalgia will will fuck with your judgments. So if you do want to rank things or if you do want to have a discussion with people where like ranking art is largely pointless, but it's pretty fun if you're into that, I would say watch it again. Like don't let nostalgia cloud you. But should Dwayne watch it again? He can if he wants to. I I think if Dwayne is scared of the show not holding up, we're going to get to that. But also, you know, you can – good art grows with you. So that's why I like to talk about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. When young, you're like, oh, cool, Luke Skywalker. Like, I look at the horizon. I think about what could be as well. You get a little bit older and you're like, oh, wow, like, you know – Han Solo's a badass. I can't wait to be in a con of class like that. And, you know, you identify with Han Solo. And you get older and you're like, wow, Ben Kenobi just wants to help out these young, foolish idiots. And Ben Kenobi lied to Luke when he needed to lie. Like, Luke was a farm kid. He couldn't hear that his father was Darth Vader. So Ben Kenobi tells him a convenient lie that gets Luke where he needs to be because he can't handle the truth right then. To me, A New Hope is awesome, and I have tons of nostalgia for it. But it's grown up with me. So I think that nostalgia has its place. But I also think that very good art doesn't live in nostalgia. Very good art can grow with you. And again, that's where the product meets the observer. And the interaction between those two things is where the art lives, in my opinion. Response, Jimbo. I was more referring to nostalgia affecting your viewing, even even like a reviewing. I mean, it's going to affect it, just as you mentioned with the Tauntaun. So, so let's let's be bold, Drew. Should Dwayne watch it or not? I I have that. I have show notes about that later in the show. Okay. Well, then let's move on. So, Jimbo, I have one last thing. Um, this is this is an extremely dangly thread. This is an extremely litigious thread too. So let's let's tread carefully. So, Jimbo, did you watch this pilot on the link I sent you? Yes. Can you describe that link and the the website that we watched it on? Daily Motion. That's the only thing that I can remember about it. That's cool. So DailyMotion.com, as far as I can see. I think I know where you're heading. There is something else that I that I remember about it that now, and I think Drew's going to mention it. So go ahead. Great. So Jimbo and I, again, because as I mentioned, the copyrights are hard to find on this show. We couldn't find a YouTube clip. We couldn't find Amazon. It's been on Netflix. It's been on Amazon. I guess the license is up in the air. So I Googled C1 Episode 1, The Wonder Years, and it took me to dailymotion.com, which as far as I can see is a website that hosts um, video content. I don't think it's supposed to host things like The Wonder Years. And the episode that we watched looked like a screen capture off the ION basic cable network. Now, what was interesting was I was like, okay, this feels kind of like a pirated website, but it's not exactly like a pirated website. 
Oh, it is exactly like one. Okay, then it's exactly like one. It's just not as blatant <laughs> as like it reminded me more of a Vimeo than necessarily a one, two, three movies, I guess. But still, there were advertisers for the content. And I was like, do these advertisers know that they're advertising on pirated content? And Jimbo, do you remember who the number one advertiser for the season one episode one of the Wonder Years was on DailyMotion.com? No, I do not. I have no idea. Um, it was the Church of Scientology. <laughs> and it was like a really covert Scientologist like commercial. It was for their volunteer ministers. So it really nice. looked like a Peace Corps ad or like a Mormon recruitment ad. But at the very end, it said volunteerministers.org. Oh, go back and watch it, dude. Or YouTube this. Volunteer uh, Ministers Scientology. I think I stopped paying attention. Well, I was like, who's advertising on a pirated site? Do they know it's pirated? And then at the end, I was like, oh, snap, it's Scientologists. I hope we don't get sued. They know they're advertising on a pirated site. That's probably the cheapest place that you can advertise. It gets the most views. It was an interesting place. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, Scientologists. Well, this is this is apparently my uh, backstory episode, man. I have so much backstories popping up. So one time, Helen and I were trying to go see a play in New York City, and it was pouring down rain. And all the shows we're seeing were booked, and so we just were unsuccessful. And so we found ourselves just hiding under a little overhang really close to Broadway, if not on Broadway. And then there's this recording, you know, and it was so it was so intriguing. It was like, have you ever questioned where you're going in life? Do you ever think about what's important? And, you know, it's just all these really interesting questions. And I was like, yes, yes. I was like, what is that? Like this, like that's me. Like all the time, I'm always asking myself these questions. Dude, I turn around. It was a Scientology office, man. I was like, what the hell? Like this, dude. That's such a clever scheme. Like these, these like super vague questions that every single person thinks about. You can't, you can't not think about these things if you're a human being. And then they just draw you in. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm always wondering, am I am I going the right direction in life? What? Yeah, dude, of course I'm wondering that. And then Scientology. I was like, wow. Well, dude, they're they're out here hoistling too. Scientologists. Yeah, they sure and are. The Church of Scientology. If nothing else, if nothing else, we can say they're out here hoistlings. And Scientology, if you are listening, if you would like to purchase, you know, fifteen to two minutes of our show, just send us a message. We are for sale. Oh, yeah, Scientologists. If you want us to push Scientology, we will do so. Again, modest financial compensation is all we ask. Yeah, I love modest. science, so you know I'm sure you guys have great things to offer. And, and I love compensation. So, you know, let's do this. We need a first sponsor. Well, we have official sponsors, but we need sponsors to reach out to us. We're tired of reaching out to you. Yes, okay? definitely. Reach out We're to us. We're all reached out. Yeah, Jimbo, with that being said, are you going to watch this? Are you going to rewatch this? And do you think Dwayne should rewatch this? I would rewatch this. I'm not sure if I'm going to right now, but I definitely feel like rewatching this. And and I watched it with Helen, and if uh, Helen and I are doing long distance right now. But if we weren't, I think we would watch this maybe like an episode a night. So, so I'm going to say this is a strong watch, and I – I do think Dwayne should go back and watch it. At least, at least go back and watch the pilot. And if it if it doesn't meet, you know what you're expecting, then just don't watch anymore. Drew, what do you think? Yes. So this is a pilots and petards first. 
So this is a Pilots and Petards premiere move. I am going to watch the first season of this show in sequential order. I have ordered it from the library. I sent Jimbo a screenshot. He's going to post it in the show notes. Um, the the reason why is because I, I think this was a mid-season replacement because the first season is only six episodes. So there's only five more episodes in this season. I'm willing to watch it in sequential order. I'm willing to talk about it on the podcast if you want to ask me later, you know, if I found any petards past the pilot. You know, I can definitely let you know about the petards. And Dwayne, I want to invite you to do the same. I know you're a loyal listener. Um, you know, you signal boost our podcast. We appreciate you. So by the way, if you are a podcast listener in Michigan, Fresh Coat Painters, Kalamazoo, I guess that's free advertising. So at this point, we're still looking for someone to approach us because I don't know if that counts. But Dwayne's an awesome listener. Dwayne, watch the show with me. We should text about it. And if you want to watch it with us and tweet about it or go on the website, I'm going to watch the next five episodes. I'm going to talk about whether I hoist them or not. Maybe not on the show, but I can if you you know, write reviews and ask for it. To hoist or not to hoist, what is your answer? This is this episode's a strong not hoist for the reason. I mean, we, we did have some low points that, you know, that were valid, but I think the overwhelming enjoyment that we discussed throughout this show more than worthy of a not hoist. Oh yeah. Agreed. This is a unanimous decision. You know, Jimbo and Drew agreeing, which hasn't been, you know, a regular thing lately, but, uh, well, you know, we agreed on X-Men, um, but no, we, uh, we are both strongly not hoisting this one. And uh, this is one of my strongest not hoists. What's on your petard, R, Jimbo? So one of my favorite shows is This Is Us. I know Drew has has his uh, critiques of This Is Us, and we, and we are going to get to that show. If someone wants to, us to get to it sooner, I would recommend a review, and we, and we could bump it on the list. This Is Us, I feel like, is... Draws on emotions a lot like Wonder Years does. It does have humor, and the characters are really well developed, more so than the Wonder Years. So I would strongly recommend if anyone likes the Wonder Years to, and they haven't saw This Is Us yet to check out This Is Us. Very cool. My Petardar show is actually almost an evolution of the Wonder Years. Um, so the Wonder Years is about the 60s and that time period. Um, I have a recommendation for a show that's about a couple of years later. I'm not sure exactly how long, but the one season wonder freaks and geeks find it. It's amazing. It's funny. It's where Judd Apatow started. That's an amazing pilot. Uh, it's a great show. It only ran one season, low ratings, fantastic cast, but really captures the shittiness of high school and really goes into the relationships and characters of the parents that this show did not necessarily, at least in the first pilot, I would say Dwayne, if you're not down to watch The Wonder Years because you want to keep it, keep that place in your heart where it lies, I would say watch Freaks and Geeks because if you like The Wonder Years at any point, you're really going to really like Freaks and Geeks. It's a really cool show, and it's funny, and it's heartfelt. Biff Tannen from uh, Back to the Future is the gym teacher, and he's great. Should uh, should Boy Meets World be on our Pedardar? Um, It's got a savage in it. I don't think it's as good as the Wonder Years, but I kind of remember liking it. I haven't. Is that is that you or is that the nostalgia talking, my friend? I have no idea. Yeah, it's been so long. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not going to put it on. If you don't remember specifically why you like something, that, that that's a nostalgia petard. 
that's a nostalgic oh, for sure yeah, yeah yeah watch yeah, out definitely. for this all right viewers so we are approaching the end of the show a few things to plug here Next week, we will have Seventh Heaven requested by Tori, and we will also be having our first guest. So we are very excited to do next week's show with our first guest and watch Seventh Heaven. So if you are up to date with us and you want to watch Seventh Heaven before next week's episode, you will be all set. Now, we also have four episodes after that. We have our next five weeks all planned out. After Seventh Heaven, we will be doing Dawson's Creek, requested by Rebecca. The following week, we will have Wonder Falls, requested by Steve. And we have a mystery uh, reviewer. We're actually not sure who this is. And this may be our first real fan. And Dilly Dilly is, is, how, is how we are referring to him. He is, uh, seems like a pretty awesome character. He or, he or she. She or he. Seemed like yeah, an awesome Dilly character, Dilly and they gave they gave such a thoughtful review, along with twelve suggestions or so of shows to watch. That Drew and I each picked an episode to watch. Four weeks from now, we are going to be doing the pilot, The Shield. Compliments of Dilly Dilly's thoughtful review, and the next week after that, five weeks from now, we will be watching Friday Night Lights. Also, compliments of Dilly Dilly thoughtful review. So. If you want to hog up our future episodes, you can leave an especially thoughtful review, and we might even grant you two requests. And for these reviews, Drew is going to run through these for us. I am going to run through the reviews, but first off, I want to do some plugs. Um, If you want to follow us on Twitter, and if you want to watch the first season of Wonder Years with us, we are Pilots and Petards. You know, that's our at handle. We're the only Pilots and Petards. Uh, handle on Twitter as well as Instagram uh, and as well as on Facebook so there's just some places to find us Jimbo what are some other places to find us so go to our website one more time here pilotsandpetards.com or just go to any search engine and put pilots and petards we are the most popular and only the one and only most popular pilots and petards go to our website you can get to everything else from our website we've I've very well outsourced plenty of links for you to find everything you could possibly need and a couple other plugs so our official closing music is an instrumental remix of alive by entheos our official ad background music was mixed by jake drew and you can find both of these artists in the show notes if you're interested in their music link to the show notes link to the show notes all right, so so that's the show. And if you start playing the music, Jimbo, I will I'll get to these reviews. But if you don't want to listen to the reviews or our shop talk, you can always sign off. And your your podcast app will do that thing where like even though there's like less than ten minutes left, it won't delete it from your queue. But you know that is life. Yeah, and viewers, if you haven't noticed by by the music, the show is officially over. But stick around to hear the reviews and the shop talk. There's a good chance we, we might get into some, some, some Star Wars talk again. Yeah, because it's not like this episode's already running past now. Um, okay, so here are some reviews. First one, title, PNP is a must-listen. This is a five-star review on December 23rd. Thank you for giving us your time right before Christmas. Shrek breath. Love this podcast. Already subscribing. Not only are the pilot breakdowns fun and interesting, the quote-unquote dangling threads that spark some interesting discussions take it to a whole different level. Only complaint from the beginning was sound and production quality, but that has been proved dramatically over the last several episodes, sounding more and more like a professional podcast. Can't wait for the next one. Keep up the work. Great. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Ah, I can screw up the end. 
thanks, Shrek Breath. And we have surmised that that was oh Brian. We're not doing last names. But uh, we, that's our buddy Brian, and he suggested Glee, so we already did that episode. Any thoughts on that review? Yeah, it's a good review. Thank you, Brian, for noticing my drastic improvements in the audio quality. We listen to our viewers. We certainly do. That was that was the number one thing I was getting in text messages. They were like, what's going on with James? Jimbo? I was like, a lot of things, but I don't know what's going on with Mike. Uh, I thought that was funny. I guess when there's only yeah, we'll call it even for for a few of my insults a few weeks ago. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, next one. Title: Good to listen to. December twenty fourth, twenty seventeen. Five star review submitted by Pilot Enthusiast one two three. First things first. Jimbo is very funny. Jimbo and Drew are a great pair. Helps pass the time. I'm glad I subscribed. I want you guys to watch Seventh Heaven. Enjoy, boys. My wife wrote that, so uh, thank you. She was insistent on Seventh Heaven, and uh, you know she went out of her way to point out that she really likes Jimbo. Uh, thank you, my wife and Jimbo. How do you feel about that review? Thank you, Drew's wife. I appreciate my reassurance and my humor. Okay, next one. Great podcast. This this is all last Wednesday. Five stars, and it's by Steve G one five seven nine two. Okay. Novel idea. Review the pilot episodes and discuss the TV show in light of its pilots, running the gamut from fully formed pilots like The West Wing to more works in progress like Buffy. Perhaps you could take on one of my favorite short-lived shows, Wonderfalls. Alright, thank you, Steve G. That was my dad. And also I told I thanked him very much for the review. He does subscribe, he does listen on a weekly basis. He has also listened to our, our Phantom pilot the pilot of the Pods and Tards podcast which was West Wing which you have wanted to release and I have refused so I appreciate you very much dad I also like Wonderfalls I'm the one who got my dad to watch that show again way back in the day uh, it's available on YouTube and we will watch it I, I'm excited to see what you say about it Jimbo what do you think about that review yeah that's another solid review thank you Steve and I have not seen any Wonderfalls I look forward to it so here's our last review, and this one is kind of like that quote-unquote mystery review that we have, because we've asked a lot of our friends, who is the expert of real? Who is Dilly Dilly? Um, both of us are cord cutters, so we didn't know that that was like a Bud Light commercial. But uh, here's what this here's what this quote-unquote actual fan, I shouldn't say quote-unquote, because this, is, this might be our first real fan, said, great show. They said this on Saturday. Five-star review. This is my expert of real. Tell us who you are, bro. Love the... Or, or lady, bro. Okay. Love the podcast. X-Men was definitely my favorite cast by you guys thus far. X-Men was one of those rare shows like Spider-Man that was complex enough that you could enjoy from childhood through to adulthood, or as you guys would say, through the progression of becoming quote-unquote Cyclops. Aha. Okay. I never thought of the MLK and X comparison until much older, and their definite undertones of Professor X and Magneto. The movies really played on it. The timing the show was created makes sense. Anyways, keep it up. There's so many shows to consider. I can pick any pilots for you guys to add to the list to review. Uh, parentheses, no order. It would be Office, Wire, Breaking Bad, Deuces, Shameless, The Shield, Cosby, Friday Night Lights, Cheers, Community, Keep It Up, Exclamation Point, Dilly Dilly. So, my thoughts are that was an extremely nuanced and, uh, uh, you know, really nice attention to detail, which you know I like. Review. 
Jimbo and I decided that since it was such a nicely written review and, you know, it did have a lot of thought and consideration in it, that we would both pick a pilot from the list this person gave us. Jimbo, why'd you pick The Shield? So yeah, Jimbo, uh, those are all our reviews. Yeah, so this was a long yeah, show, man. Yeah, it was. Man. It was only a long show. Let me look at the time. Yeah, those are our, our but, reviews. Oh, whatever, dude. Are we... I know we're at 145, dude. We're, we don't have a long show because of our reviews. Like, our reviews were like eight minutes. We no. Have, oh, our no, show no, was... no, definitely not. Oh, that was what you were saying. I was like, dude, I knew this yeah, was I know. a long show. I, no, I no, saw no. that coming. No, I'm I'm all for reading reviews at the end of the show, man. I'm not... Yeah. Oh, no, I'm saying at the beginning when you said, I don't think this is going to be a long show. You said that off mic. I was like, bro, I think this will be a long show. Oh, I did say that. Yeah, I was way wrong. Yeah, definitely. This is our one. Yeah, holy crap, man. Was I wrong? I don't think you should necessarily, like, try and cut. I mean, edit edit with a good ear. And there's definitely things that I said where you could edit, you know? Um, but I think that this is a good show that could stand on its own for an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. You know, like, if people don't want to listen to the yeah, sure. have to. No, yeah, this is optional, viewers. If you're still here, we've been entertaining you for a very long time. If you haven't written a review yet, you know you know what you should do. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, once again, write a review. Be cool. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, every day we're hoistling. Every day we're hoisting. Yeah, we're super hoistling. And in fact, I, I was just going to toss this in at, at, at us sometime. So Drew and I want to create a successful podcast. Just And by success, I guess we are going to measure that by viewers and subscriptions and reviews. And when our show pops up on maybe new and, and noteworthy or trending podcasts is kind of uh, one of our measures of success. So... If you, um, if you are listening still, then you've obviously enjoyed us enough to listen for like 90 plus minutes. So help us out in the progression and the success of our show. Yeah. You know, come on. Yeah. If you've been with us for like an hour, 30 minutes plus, just, you know, like, you know, actually I was talking to Daniel, uh, most 15 Daniel, uh, from Rabawe. And he was like, yeah, because I was trying to get him to write a review for us, let alone, like, listen to our thing. And he was like, yeah, you know, I never write reviews for podcasts. And he was like, do you? I was like, well, freaking now I do, um, because it's really hard to get people to write, like, <laughs> reviews. And, like, it's really hard to, like, you know, publicize a podcast. So I think I'm a better podcast listener now that I've worked on a podcast because now I'm writing reviews a bunch. I'm like, you know what? This is a five-star podcast. Like, an extra 10 seconds from my life to say that I enjoy your podcast to five things. Like, dude, I've been listening to some podcasts for four and a half years. I should write a review. Like, if that's all they want from me, you know, like, I'm not even a Patreon subscriber. Like, come on. You know, like, I should write a review. But I do. I've written, I've probably written, like, five, six, or seven reviews um, just since we started doing this. And, like, it's like an 800% increase, you know? Yeah, nice. Go write some reviews, Jimbo. It feels good. Yeah, you know, I, I've actually emailed a couple of the podcasts I listen to, and I let them know that, like, I like their show, 
but I, I never reviewed anyone yet, which is extremely ironic because I'm here asking my viewers to review my show when I do listen. Although, although I haven't been listening to much podcasts since I started making a podcast, this, this podcast takes almost all my free time. Me being the editor, you know, chief editor. Uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a decent amount of work. So maybe tomorrow, you know, I'll find I'll find some time, and maybe each day when I'm dropping a deuce, I'll uh, review one of my podcasts I listen to. There you go. Um, man. A lot of the podcasts I listen to are from are are from NPR and they're mainstream, so they don't need any help from me. But maybe a couple of those those smaller ones that that I found randomly. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're a, we're an we're an indie pod. I've I've joined a couple indie pod groups on Twitter, so we get we get some shout outs with some indie pods. You know, I mean, we'll 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 see how it goes. But yeah, you know, support your indie pods. All right, man. Um, I'm good. You good? Yeah, Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling. Every day we we're hoistling throughout. <laughs> So cool.